Well, good morning. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Mike. If you were here this morning and you were probably expecting Pastor Mike to be here, surprise. <laughs> but I'm here. I am, uh, if you don't know who I am, I am one of the elders here at Alliance International Church, and I have the privilege, honor, opportunity to be able to share with you this morning from this passage in Nehemiah. This is the second of our weeks that we have been in this book, and uh, it's an exciting book. Uh, maybe you haven't looked in the book of Nehemiah in a while. It's an exciting book in a lot of ways, and I'm going to move a lot, so I'm going to move a couple things so that I don't fall. <laughs> um, but before we look at the passage, the great thing to do is to start with prayer. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we're able to gather as a church. We're able to be here and worship you. We're able to open your word. We're able to lift our voices in praise and songs. We're able to just be at your feet for a little while as a church body, and I thank you for that. Lord, open our eyes, our hearts, as we look into your word this morning. May we hear from you and hearts be changed through the power of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, I hope you brought your Bible with you. I know the passages are up here for us all the time on a Sunday morning, but it's always good to have your own copy. I say that. So you can write things down. Many of you are going electronic now, but that's just as fine. Maybe you take some notes in there. I always like to write in my Bible. And if I were to ask you, what is the book of Nehemiah about? Uh, some of you may have an answer to that. Some of you might scratch your head for a second and go, I'm not so sure what what that book is about, even from the passage that we just read. Probably in a nutshell, I could say that it's about uh, hmm? leadership. leadership. There's many aspects of the book, but probably the main thing many of you would say, it's about a guy who built a wall, would probably be your book report answer, that if you had to do a book report, that would be your thing. It's about a guy who, who built a wall. And that's true in a lot of ways, but as with all of Scripture, God's Word has a whole lot more to it than this guy who built a wall. God is at work, and that's what we're looking at as we look at this book of Nehemiah as God at work. And God is definitely at work as we look at this passage and we open it up. I also say that it's got one more aspect to it better than God built a wall. It has a word that um, I learned from my son a number of years ago. I used to ask him, well, he's he's in his 30s now, but... I used to ask him a number of years ago, I said, uh, how are things going with you on, a, on a such and such a date that he might have went on before he got married, or how are things going in your life? And he would always come back with a word that I didn't understand, and it was like, oh, Dad, it's, it's a lot of drama. Uh, and, and, I, and that was a word, maybe you still use that today, drama. And I always, what does that actually mean? But I guess that's one, one word description of a whole lot going on that I just not going to tell you about. But there's a whole lot of drama in the book of Nehemiah. There's all kinds of things going on. It's not just about a wall being built. As you look at the story and how it's told, there is all kinds of things going on, even in the passages that we're going to look at today. So I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to open again to chapter 2, but I'm going to do a quick review of what Pastor Mike kind of got into last week. He talked about Nehemiah's prayer and how Nehemiah was praying about this. He heard the news from his friends 
that the walls had been torn down. They had been down for a, a number of years, and it broke Nehemiah's heart, because he knew it broke God's heart. So he prayed about this. He prayed and fasted. And if you remember, Pastor Mike last week said, for some days he prayed and fasted. Well, if you look at the first verse of chapter 1 and the first verse of chapter 2, it talks about two months. And if you look at that real quick, it says in the first verse of chapter 1, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. Now, and then that is on the Jewish calendar, the month of November, December is what that is. In the 20th year. So take a note. You saw in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Flip over to chapter 2 in the first verse. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So if you do a real quick finger count on your hand, you see that that's four months. So Nehemiah prayed and fasted over this for four months, wondering and wrestling with God about how this would happen. He laid it on his heart that he needed to go back and get the nation of Israel back underneath of him. So for four months, and if you think about it, if you know how long the wall took to be built, it's 52 days, I'll just give you a little hint. He's longer in prayer and preparation than it took to build the wall. So Nehemiah is wrestling with God on all the things that need to happen. And I'm sure Nehemiah a couple times probably said, and you know, God, it's going to take this, and it's going to take that, and I'm going to need this. And like God's going to be up there going, well, let me write this down. I'm not so sure I understand. God knows. He knew everything that Nehemiah was going to need and how it was going to work out. So he was ready and prepared for that. So we're going to get into this second chapter today. But there's a lot of things that we see here. God's at work solving problems in this book of Nehemiah. God is at work through prayer. God is at work through a lot of opposition. We see a lot of opposition as Nehemiah goes through this wall being built and even after that. So we see God at work powerfully. So that's, that's our title. If you saw the banner out on the wall, there's God at work. It's men at work, but I'm going to use God at work today. So let's get into chapter 2. Although I'm going to make one quick highlight at the very end of chapter 1, the very last verse. And it says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He doesn't call him the king. He doesn't call him anything special. He says, in the presence of this man. So he's about to go right before the king. He's been praying for four months and he's about to go in front of the king. And his last words there in this chapter says, I was cupbearer to the king. Uh, that's not a job Mike alluded to a little bit last week. That's not a job that probably any of us in here are going to be applying for anytime soon or in the future. But in this time, in this age, being the cupbearer was a very important job. It was like, I guess in a nutshell, you could say it was the, he was the bodyguard, the food bodyguard to the king. He all, all the food went through him. That was part of his job. It was very easy to pe poison the king if he didn't test the food and be sure that it was okay for the king to have. So he's the cupbearer. That's his job. That's his title. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. His job is a cupbearer. That's basically his job. But, and this is a really big but, I would say, he is 
positioned by God. He is a cupbearer positioned by God at the right time in the right way. And his heart is wanting to be used by God. So we're going to get into chapter 2 right now. A little bit of setup. So we've read that first verse. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. In that day, one thing you did not do was go before the king and be sad. That was a really bad idea to go and stand in the king's presence and have any kind of a downcast look on your face. That could very easily turn into an off-with-your-head moment. And the reason for that was, was the kind of the thinking was, was that, hey, I am the king. You couldn't be sad with me here in the room. I am the king, you know, just my countenance, just who I am should be enough to have you not be sad. You know, you're in my presence. And that was kind of the mindset was that, was how could you be that way? And I thought a little bit about that. How would that relate to you today? Maybe some of you in your office, there was a, a CEO come through or an executive or somebody higher up in the company. And maybe one of you is the higher up in the company And you come through the office, and if that high executive person would come through and was shaking hands with everybody in the office, you wouldn't be smiling, you wouldn't be downcast and going, man, I don't have time for you. It would be, you would be shaking and smiling. No matter how your day was, you're going to be smiling. You're going to be happy in the presence of that executive. And that's where he is. So he's not allowed to be sad in the presence of the king at all. So we're going to look and see how, what that, what happens to him next. So he's never done it before. So the king asks him, So why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. There's a little bit of compassion there on the king's part. You see that, that he notices that Nehemiah is sad, that he is downcast, and something must be on his mind because he had never been that way in his presence before, it says. So the king says, Wow. I've never seen Nehemiah like this. And instead of saying, hey, you're being sad in my presence, I think you ought to leave, he inquires to Nehemiah about why he's feeling like this. So then we are going to start to get into the drama real soon right here as to what's going to be happening next. And I like what he says there next. I was very much afraid. At this point right here, you have to consider that Nehemiah is, he's been four months in prayer. He is, remember the last few verses of chapter 1, he's in the presence of the king. And after all this time that he spent praying and fasting and talking to God about this project and what needs to happen, he is at that moment where it's going to happen. And so he's afraid of maybe the next thing he's going to say is going to cause the king to say, sorry, off with your head, I don't want anything to do with that. He, he had rejection in front of him all the time while he's in the presence of the king right here. So he says, I was very much afraid. I wonder how much time there was there was between when the king said, I, this can be nothing but sadness of heart, and he starts to utter these next words. It probably felt like an eternity to Nehemiah, I would think, as he's in the king's presence. He says, but, in verse 3, I said to the king, 
May the king live forever. That's always a good thing to say to a king. You know, they like to hear that. Uh, he probably said it a number of times, and the king said, yeah, thank you. Yep, yep, I would like to live forever. Thank you very much. And he enjoyed that, that accolade. But he says to the king, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Okay, he just, imagine you're there and you're Nehemiah and you've just spoken those words in the king's presence about why you're sad. And what might the king say and or do with you or to you as you have just spoken those words in his presence? You might be a little nervous, don't you think, if you, if you had just stated that. And also an important part of this, one thing that I always say when you look at Scripture, look at what it says, but look at what it doesn't say sometimes. So he says, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? You notice he doesn't say what city. He doesn't mention the name of the city. He just says the city, and he doesn't even give the location of it. He just says the city where my fathers are buried and have been destroyed by fire. Why would he not say the name of the city? To the king right off the bat because it's Jerusalem and because Jerusalem had a history of issues and problems to kings and powers in the past so he was careful very tactful very wise in this part where he does not say Jerusalem he just says the city so he's he's uh, he's gotten in front of the king and he's got his his count I mean he's got his his attention and he says the city, so the king's thinking, wow, that, he would understand that. The king would be able to relate to that because of ancestors, because of his past. So the king would welcome that, wow, that, that is something that I think is important. So he understands that. So I think that's very wise. Notice that Nehemiah did not tell him the name of the city or its location. Then the king, verse 4, said to me, what is it you want? And I imagine there was another huge pause right there, right after he describes this about the, about the city and about why he's sad. And the king says, that's a good answer, don't you think, by the king? What is it you want? Instead of, I am not going to answer that question, and I probably uh, off with your head, Nehemiah. It's not, I'm not interested in hearing anything that you have to say about your ancestors in your past. He says, what is it you want? God at work, right here. While he's in the presence of the king, this is God at work softening the king's heart. So remember, he was afraid just a little bit ago, but now the king has given him some indication that, hey, I'm willing to listen to what you are going to tell me and what this is. What is going on? Why are you sad, Nehemiah? So the king says, what is it you want? And then I like that, that next part right after that. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah, at this point, probably didn't go, time out, king, I'm going to go back to my room. I need to pray for a minute. I'll be back. Or he didn't probably get on his knee right there. He probably didn't make any special 
indication visibly to the king that he's praying. But he prayed. And isn't it great that we can do that as Christians at any time and anywhere, that we are able to pray? And we don't have to necessarily take a... We don't have to bow. We don't have to be on our knees. We don't have to be in any position. We can be praying while you're working. Does some of you do that? While you're maybe typing on your computer or while you're flying an airplane or while you're at your office. You can be praying while you're at work. And we're, we're able to do that as Christians. And God hears that. And he receives that. So that is, is powerful to understand there, that he prayed. He didn't have to go away. He didn't have to do anything special. That he was able to pray in the moment for what he was going to say next. Because the king says, what do you want? Now he's going to get ready to say what he wants or what God has laid on his heart. There's four months of prayer, so he's ready to move on to the next part here in the next verse, verse 5. If your servant, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my father's are buried so that I can rebuild it. There's a whole lot right there in that one in that one sentence. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me. He's asking the king to send him to participate with him in this, what God has laid on his heart. He says, let the king, if it pleases you, king, you send me back so that I can accomplish this, that I can get into this. And he lets on the location of the city in this verse. He says, okay, it's in Judah. The city is in Judah. So we have a location, but he didn't name the city yet. He doesn't tell the king that it's Jerusalem. He just says it's in Judah. And king, would you send me? Would you send me, king? So this is pretty bold. You have to consider what is happening right here. This is a cupbearer asking the king to send him back to rebuild the city and have the king send him. Not just, can I take a little leave of absence? I want to go for a little while. He's asking the king to send him. That's pretty bold, but that's God at work right there. And that's pretty neat to notice that. So that I can rebuild it. And this is between that verse and verse 6. I had to think there'd be another pause that the king is maybe sitting there on his throne. And it probably felt like hours to Nehemiah while he's sitting there. He just asked, he asked this and he's looking at the king. What is the king going to do with this request? What would he possibly say to me that would make it that he's going to help me with this or he's not going to help me with this? What is he going to say? How interesting that is that he's able to do that. And then the king, in verse 6, says, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me. I'll stop right there. I I, I don't know why that little phrase, with the queen sitting beside him, is in there. I always look at every aspect of what scripture has, because there's something there. Maybe we don't totally understand. I don't want to read too much into it. But maybe... The king had a quick glance over to the queen for a second and looked at her and she kind of gave him the uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. This is a good idea, king, for you to grant this request. Maybe he just did that. I mean, it doesn't say that she did anything else or says anything, 
but it just says with the queen sitting beside him. So I would think maybe she had at least a little bit of influence at that moment as he looked over and just kind of noticed that she was maybe just, just nodding just a little bit. He didn't ask her anything, but maybe she gave an indication that, yes, yes, this is something that you ought to do, king. So I just took a notice of that. I mean, a little bit of uh, observation about that aspect of it. But then she says, <coughs> excuse me, then he says, if it pleases the king, and found savor, let him send me, excuse me, I'm down one more verse. How long will your journey take, and when will you be back? So the king, that's basically a, I'm going to let you go. I'm for this. This is the king saying, how long are you going to be gone, and when are you going to come back? That's great. And I imagine right then at that moment, Nehemiah was probably doing one of these. At least he wished he could be doing that. He was, all right, he's going to let me go. He's going to send me. God is at work. All this prayer, all this time that I've been wrestling with God, he's, the king is letting me go. He's endorsing this. I'm going to have the opportunity to go back. So, I, you know, it probably would have been hard not to just maybe jump up and down a little bit, do a quick backhand spring or something like that in the king's presence. But he doesn't do that. He, was, he just he has to be inside just, wow, this is great, God. What an opportunity to have this happen. But he asked him a question. You know, he says, okay, so how long is it going to take you and when are you going to get back? And it doesn't tell us there, but it says, It pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. Now, we don't see right here what that time is. But if you flipped over to chapter 13, verse 6, it tells us how long Nehemiah was gone when he left. And it was for 12 years. He wasn't gone just a little while. He was gone for 12 years. Nehemiah actually goes back to Jerusalem, builds the wall, helps with that, gets the people excited about what God's going to be doing in their hearts and lives. King calls him back, and then he goes back again to Jerusalem. Now, if you read all the rest of Nehemiah, you'll see that. But the set I set a time in there is, is that. I don't know if he necessarily told the king right then and there, uh, 12 years. Uh, I'll be gone. But the journey from where the palace is to Jerusalem is 800 miles or 1,290 kilometers. It's not right across the street that, that he's going to be going to. It's, it's a ways away, a several months journey for him to do that. So Nehemiah, during that four months, I'm sure he spent a lot of time Thinking of the details. He's a planner. We see that later on through the book of Nehemiah that he's planning. He's, he's prayed through details. So he understands all of what's going on. I'm sure he went back and forth with God. You know, how long is it going to take me to get there? How long is it going to take to do that? And God says, I know all these answers, Nehemiah. I'll take care of every detail that you need taken care of. Trust me. And I will handle those. And, God, and he's seeing this now in the presence of the king right here in these verses. So he set that time, and he says, I like this, that, okay, maybe he's getting a little bit more bold here, or a little more confident. I mean, it says in our, our bulletins, a bold request. Now Nehemiah says, okay, he's going to let me go. He's going to send me. 
There's some things that I know I'm going to need. And he goes and he asks those. So in these verses later on, he goes, I also said to him, verse 7, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans, of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. That is a bold request. Right there. He says, okay, king. And he was probably a little more polished than that. I'm just kind of using a little bit of a, of a slang. He says, okay, king, I, I'm going to need some help if I'm going to complete this project, and you're the one that can do it. You know, I know God's at work softening your heart. He's thinking that. He says, I'm going to need letters for safe passage. I'm going to need to be able to go this 800 miles and go through some territory. It's going to take me a while to get there. And if I'm by myself, I could run into trouble. So he asked for these, these letters to get him through. And if you notice one aspect of this, he names the guy who's in charge of the forest, Asaph. And he also says, so he will give me timber. So basically, he says to the king, I want safe passage, and you're going to pay for it, is what it comes down to. He says, so that he will give me the timber. So it wasn't like Nehemiah was going to show up at the king's forest. Now, remember, timber at that time was precious. Wood was hard to come by. And not easy to get. They guarded the wood. That was a precious commodity. It was not easy. It wasn't like there was plenty of places around they could always get timber. So this was guarded. And, and, they, and Nehemiah knows the guy who's in charge of the king's forest. And he also says, when I get there to get this timber, I want like your endorsement here. So, he, so this guy Asaph doesn't say, so who's paying for this? It's, it's already done. The king signed for it. So the king is funding basically the rebuilding of the wall. He's giving him the timber so he can take it. And he says, you know, I'm going to need a place to live. I'm going to need wall, you know, wood for the gates. I'm going to need all these things. And the king's going, okay, no problem. I'll sign off on that to you. And, and now we see that powerfully in the last part of this verse. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. The king granted my request. Boom! He understands it right there. That it wasn't anything that he did, that it was God at work, that God's gracious hand was upon him, and the king granted those bold requests that Nehemiah had for this project to get started. And that is powerful to understand right there, that he gives the glory to God right there. It is only because... God softened this king's heart. What he asked for in these moments in front of the king were serious. That wasn't an easy thing to do. That wasn't just a, hey, king, I have an idea. He's asking the king to let him go, to be gone from his presence for an extended period of time, and to pay for the project when it comes down to it. So you see a lot happening in these verse, first verses of this chapter. And then we get to the, the verse 9. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates 
and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. That's a little icing on the cake, I would say. In my opinion, he just says he gets... The king not only gives him the letters, gives him the credit card to get the wood, but he sends along army officials and cavalry with him to help him get along and get through. So he has an escort. He has a royal escort to go ahead and get these things to go back. The God has taken care of all these details. And that is pretty powerful to do that. He didn't necessarily ask, we don't think, for the cavalry and for the for the armed guard, so to speak, but he got them. The king says, you're going to need this too. So here, I'm going to send along a, a group of guys with you to make sure you don't run into any trouble. And we'll get you all the way to where you need to go so that just in case you got to Asaph, the, the guy who's in charge of the wood and go, and who are you? And Nehemiah says, I'm the cupbearer of the king. No, not getting any wood today. He goes, well, look at these guys behind me. They say so. Okay, you get the wood. <laughs> And basically, you can go on. So, and, that, and that is neat to see that, that Nehemiah gives God the glory and that he goes ahead and sends him and he has an escort. Now, verse 10 is our last one that we're going to look at today. And it's like a transition going into verse 10 in terms of what the uh, other ones are. And before I read that verse, you know, have you ever been to a movie? I, mean, I think of an old-time movie's where when the bad guys come on the scene or you know there's no, something bad is going to happen, the music changes and it starts to go, you know, either really low or something just kind of, you know, yeah, the bad guys are about to come out or something bad is about to happen. Think really bad music when you see the rest of Nehemiah, when you see Sanballat, the, Hor- the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, whenever you see them, they surface several times through the rest of the book of Nehemiah. When you see those names, think those are troublemakers. These are guys that don't want anything to do with this happening any better. And as I read that verse, I see the official, the Ammonite official heard about this. They were very much disturbed. I'd like for there to be a period right there. They were very much disturbed. It's disturbed men. But no, they, they were disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They didn't want to see any bit of the nation of Israel coming back together. They were against it. They fought it. You'll see these guys' name surface if you read through the rest of Nehemiah, how they planned to throw every kind of obstacle in the way that they possibly could to stop those walls from going up and have that nation of Israel come back together. So these are kind of, these are guys that, as you read through, are trying to stop it. And that's an example of opposition that we face today in our walk with the Lord. These are just some names that are attached to it. So we've looked at how God has been at work for Nehemiah in a pretty dramatic way. This, this whole time frame right here is just a few minutes. I mean, he's, this is just happens quickly before the king, but... It's powerful. A lot happened in this few moments right here. And just for some like FYI information, the first 12 chapters of Nehemiah encompass about a year. The remaining chapters are about over 20 years. So there's a whole lot happening in these first few chapters, these first 12 chapters of Nehemiah. So as you study it and look at it, you might think that's an extended period of time, but it's really a whole lot happening in a short amount of time. God at work. 
So what can we what can we learn and what can we take away from these verses here? I mean, how can this relate to us today? You might be thinking and asking. And I started to think through that aspect of it a little bit. And I don't think God's going to have or ask anyone in this room to go and build a wall around a city anytime soon. Probably not going to happen. I don't think you'll probably have God asking you to do that. But he might be asking you to rebuild a relationship. He might be asking you to even be rebuilding a relationship with him. And he's calling you and he's talking to you. And he can work out the details. God is at work. He's always at work. He never stops. He's always pursuing us. And God is going to have something for you to do at some point in your walk. And it could be tomorrow. And, and it can be something that's going to be life-changing. Nehemiah did not know that this task was coming down the, the road for him his whole life. It, it, it wasn't something he dreamt about or he, or he was a prophet of any kind. He heard the news. He, his life changed at that point. He realized that God, it broke God's heart and that he could do something about it. And he did. He committed that to the Lord. So he got involved. Nehemiah's life changed. Each one of you in here has an opportunity. God's going to call you to something. He always does. He's going to ask you to step out in faith. And it could look a lot of different ways, but God's at work. We're not to be idle. We're not to just be sitting around. We are to be active. We are to be at work as, at well, as well for God's kingdom and how powerful it is for us to do that. We also see that prayer works. All through the scriptures we see that. But this is another great example for us that God answers prayer. Nehemiah was scared. He was afraid. He even says that in there. He says, I was afraid. He wasn't sure exactly because God didn't tell him exactly how that was going to turn out. He just says, I'll be with you and I'll take care of the details. He didn't know what that was going to look like. So Nehemiah was stepping out of faith. We'll need to step out in faith and service too in our lives and our walk with the Lord. And God will provide a way for each one of us in a way that only he can. That's the faith. That's the opportunity that we have to step out. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something dramatic. It doesn't, like I said, it's not going to be a building a wall around the city. God may be asking you to lead a, a class. He may be asking you to witness to your neighbor at work. He may be asking you to pray for somebody that you ought to be praying for. And he may be asking you to get involved in a way that you've been wrestling with him about for a time now. He's asked you to do something, and you are not so sure that you want to, but God says, I will help you with that. I will give you the tools you need. I will provide. Just as he provided for Nehemiah, he'll provide for you. That's an example that we can learn about what happened here with Nehemiah. He didn't sure how it was going to happen, but he trusted the Lord. He prayed about it, and it happened. God gave him way more than he expected. He got the letters. He got the timber, the king to pay for it, and everything. Like that. God provided. And sometimes we just try to think, well, this is just too much, God. It's just too big. I don't know how it's going to work out. And I don't think God's at all surprised. He's not sitting there going, you're right. I didn't think about that. He knows. He knows every detail. He knows what's going on. And there's nothing that can stop him from completing that if he has something to do in your life. 
Continue to look for opportunities to serve. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are at work in so many ways. And I thank you for each life that's in here today. I thank you for the way you're at work in their hearts and their lives. Lord, use these, these hearts in here that want to serve you in powerful ways. Lord, give them an understanding of what you would have them to do. Lord, I pray for each one that's in this room that they would be convicted of some things, Lord, that you've been pursuing them about. Lord, that they would talk to you about it. They would pray about it. Lord, they would seek your face. You are worthy of all praise, Father. And we just bow at your feet and thank you for the love that you give us each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen.